Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When my sister told me she was moving for a new job, I was torn. Part of me was thrilled for her. Part of me didn't want to see her go. We'd never lived more than an hour apart, and the idea of her being so far away was an alien one that would take some getting used to. She was too excited to think about the impending distance she was putting between herself and the family, so we did our best not to mention it too much. No one wanted to discourage her. I can't wait, she told me over the phone. I could hear the crack of packing tape as it was pulled across a box. Once I'm settled, you have to come visit me. Because it sounds like such a fun and exciting place to be, I teased. Who wouldn't want to go on vacation in the middle of nowhere, Florida? Come on, there's lots to do. There's a nature preserve nearby, the town has a bar, and Orlando's only a few hours away. (laughs) Right, what was I thinking? It's practically paradise. She snorted and I grinned. Sorry, Nina, but there's just no way you're going to make it to a town called Passit sound interesting. The name says it all. It was originally Passit after its founder. The locals just had a sense of humor. Been hidden Wikipedia up, huh? You know me, I like to be prepared. I still can't believe you spent all that time and money to become a vet and then decided to move to the tiniest town in the U.S., Is sticking your arm up cow's butts all day really that appealing? Anything to get away from you, she said cheerfully. When the day of her departure came, we all showed up at her house early in the morning and helped her load what few belongings the movers hadn't taken into the back of her car. She gave us each a hug, promised to call when she arrived, and then she was off, leaving us standing and waving at the foot of the driveway. She didn't look back, though. She never did. That was just how Nina was. The first few weeks after she arrived seemed almost blissful for Nina. She had an adorable house on a sizable piece of property. She was spending her days shadowing her boss and getting to know clients, and she was loving the small town life. Every day I'd get texts with pictures of her home or the animals she was treating, mostly cows and horses, and messages gushing about how great it was in Passit. I was unexpectedly jealous of her. I'd been laid off from my job in an accounting firm right before she'd left and hadn't been able to find another one right away, so I'd been forced to settle for a retail gig while I waited for something better to come along. I couldn't help feeling a bit sorry for myself, and as petty as it was, seeing how unsuccessful and happy she was made me even more bitter about my own situation. I tried to not take it out on Nina. It certainly wasn't her fault, but she must have sensed something was off, because her texts became more infrequent and generic. Our always easy relationship became strained, and for the first time in our lives, I felt disconnected from my sister. I lay awake at night, 
staring at the ceiling and thinking about all the things that had gone wrong recently, but nothing was quite so sore as the feeling of losing my best friend. I decided that while I couldn't control the job market or dealing with customers any more pleasant, I could fix things with Nina. Determined to be more positive and engaged, I shot her a quick text. So, is that offer to visit still open? I waited, and then I waited some more. And then a full day passed without a response. I checked my phone constantly, guilt gnawing away at my insides. I knew I'd been a bit short with her, maybe even a little cold at times, but I didn't think I had been bad enough to warrant no contact. If she would just respond, I'd be more than happy to apologize. But I didn't get an answer. After a few days of continued silence, I called our mother and asked if she'd spoken to Nina lately. Not for a few days, she said. I figured she was busy and didn't want to be a bother. No texts or anything? No, why? Is something wrong? Concern had crept into my mom's voice. Sasha? No, I'm sure everything's fine. I guess I just miss her. Mom comforted me, telling me it was normal, and she went through it with her own siblings when they grew up, but an uneasy feeling was wriggling around in the pit of my stomach. Even when she was off at school, Nina had made it a point to check in on our parents every couple of days. She knew how my mom worried. After we'd hung up, I paced in circles around my living room, chewing my lip. Something wasn't right. I could feel it. I grabbed my phone again and dialed Nina's number. It rang once and went straight to voicemail. Hey, it's me. Call me back when you get this, okay? It's important. I must have sat at my table, staring at my phone, for hours. Every time the screen lit up with a call or text, I grabbed it, hopeful that it would be my sister, and every time the caller ID read differently, my certainty that something was very wrong deepened. If something had happened to her, someone would have called us, I told myself out loud. Her boss, or the cops, or or a hospital but such reassurances didn't help. If anything, they just made me feel worse. Why hadn't anyone called? Probably because Nina's fine and there's no reason to. I mumbled, trying to replace my worry with irritation at my sister's inattention to her family. She's just distracted and busy and isn't thinking of us. That wasn't like her, though, and I knew it. With my night fast slipping away, but sleep an impossibility, I sat down at my computer and started looking around for any recent news out of Passit. Surely a small town without much going on would report any serious accidents or injuries. When Nina had first accepted the job offer in Passit, sight unseen, we'd researched the place pretty thoroughly, or so we thought. We'd looked at the town website, viewed their local news, even done a virtual tour of Main Street, It had been cute and quaint, and Nina had squealed when she'd seen it. It had been the deciding factor for her. Now, though, no matter what I typed in, there was no town website, no tour, nothing. 
The only thing that came up when I searched for Pass at Florida were a handful of news articles from the late 70s that hadn't come up previously. Pass it, a modern-day Roanoke? What happened in Pass it? The town that vanished overnight. I clicked through them, skimming them quickly, my heart pounding painfully in my chest. Details were sparse. Passit hadn't been on anyone's radar until a young boy was found wandering along a highway, bloody and naked, and gave it as his home. What the police discovered when they attempted to return him was a ghost town. They tried to question the child to find out where his parents were, but his only response was, they came for us. When they asked who they were, the boy would just scream. A search of the town revealed homes filled with iconography that police and religious experts alike couldn't place. Horrible, dark creatures painted on the walls, bones and blood, and decaying bits of fingers and flesh set out at altars, and in every one, a book written in a language no one recognized. Although there were signs of a struggle all over the small town, there wasn't a single person left, aside from the boy, to tell anyone what had happened. While Passit captivated the media for weeks, it was dwarfed by the Jonestown massacre that followed shortly thereafter, and then forgotten altogether in its wake. A town of just over 200 people vanished, and then slipped through history's cracks, and somehow... My sister had ended up there. Pass it, you said? The tired sounding officer on the line asked once I'd hurriedly explained why I was calling. Uh, yes, off 70. Your sister got a job there. Yes, I said, impatient and eager for someone to start looking for Nina. You must got it wrong. No one's been out in Pass for 30 years. Well, she is. She moved out there a few weeks ago, and we haven't heard from her. I'm sorry, I don't know what to tell you. Look, she's a large animal vet out there, working for Dr. Falson. We looked him up. We looked up the town. It was there. It was there 30 years ago. Have you ever considered that your sister lied to you? The dismissal in his voice made my blood boil. She sent me pictures and texts all the time when she got there. She had no reason to lie. Can, can't can you send someone to check? No point, he said. What? How can you say that? Your sister isn't there, ma'am. You don't know that, I shouted. Tears hot and angry, frustrated, stung my eyes. Oh, I do. How the hell can you be so sure? Because, he said, they'd have come for her by now. The line clicked and then went dead. I tried to redial, but I received a busy tone and threw my phone angrily at the couch. My thoughts were chaos, but I couldn't explain how Nina got a job in a town that wasn't there. I didn't know how we found websites dedicated to it one day and then old news stories talking about its abandonment three decades prior the next. I I didn't know where my sister was. 
questions and fear and helplessness washed over me and I crumbled to the floor, my face buried in my hands. The cop's words repeated over and over in my head like a scratched record. They'd have come for by now. He didn't say who they were. Didn't tell me why they'd want my sister or what they'd do to her. There'd just been a note of abject hopelessness in his voice, a tone that told me to give up before I even began. I tried to call Nina repeatedly for the rest of the night, and each time she didn't answer, I cried harder. By morning, I was completely drained, worn thin and pale by hours spent sobbing. I could barely move, barely think. There was only one clear thought that managed to stay above the foggy haze that had settled in my skull. What the hell happened in Passit? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The first time it happened, I woke up in the bathtub under six inches of water. My lungs were drinking instead of breathing, and my brain was screaming that I needed to do something, anything, to make it stop. After half a second of terrified thrashing, I grabbed the edge of the tub and sat up, sputtering and coughing for a moment before pulling myself over the edge onto the cold tile floor. I still don't know what was going on or where I was, but I knew I didn't want to be near that water anymore. It was as though I'd woken up in the middle of a deep black ocean and was afraid of what might be below waiting to pull me down. But it wasn't an ocean. I was in the bathroom of my apartment, and apparently I'd fallen asleep while taking a bath. Except... I didn't take baths. I probably hadn't taken a legitimate bath since I was in elementary school, and I certainly had only used the shower in three years that I lived in that apartment. So why the fuck was I in the tub half drowned? My first thought was that I'd been sleepwalking. I'd had a problem with it as a kid, but I thought I'd grown out of it. And even at my most active, the most dangerous thing I'd ever done is wake up my older brother by walking around in his room one night. But filling up the bathtub, taking off my clothes, and getting in all while sleepwalking? That sounded impossible. I continued to ponder as I dried myself off and got dressed. My throat was raw from coughing and my lungs burned and hurt. I'm sure it was my imagination, but it seemed like there was a gallon of water sloshing around in my chest. I headed into the kitchen and got a glass of milk, hoping it would coat my throat and ease off the coughing. Pacing around the apartment, I tried to focus enough to figure out what had happened. What else could it be? 
Had I gone out and gotten drunk, or maybe someone slipped me something? No, I mean, I remember going to bed, but there were no signs on my phone or in the apartment that I'd gotten back up and gone anywhere. Maybe I was sick or something. Working at the hospital, even in administration, I get exposed to stuff all the time. We all did, so I might have just had a cold or a flu, and it was making me have weird dreams and do weird stuff. Except, I felt fine overall, and the woman. I, I, I just remembered the woman on the stretcher the day before. I work in accounts receivable for one of the local hospitals, which usually means I spend my days on the admin floor of the building going through paperwork and processing insurance claims. But there are always times when we have to go to the other floors to either explain a past bill, clear up a dispute as to how a procedure should be coded, or other random boring work shit. Because of that, I knew a lot of people throughout the hospital and even had a couple of good friends from other floors. The day before the night of the bathtub, I'd been dropping off some new change of information and forms at a nurse's station when I saw my buddy Jackie pushing a woman on a stretcher down the hall. Jackie was a physician's assistant, and normally he was very laid back and cheerful, but this time his expression was serious and troubled as he glanced towards me. Hey man, how's it going? I smiled and nodded to him. Can't complain, just playing paper, boy. I paused, almost waiting to ask him if everything was okay before remembering he was with a patient. I could always shoot him a text later and find out if... The woman on the stretcher shot out her hand and gripped mine as we met in the hallway. Letting out a small yelp, I looked down and realized for the first time that underneath her sheet, she was strapped down to the bed she was traveling on. She'd somehow gotten her arm free, though, and her grip on my hand was tight and hot as she began to let out a pleading scream. It's going to get me. It's going to keep on until it gets me. You have to help me. I stood there stunned, half-heartedly trying to pull free as I stared at the yelling woman. She was a little older than me, and I'd probably think she was very pretty under normal circumstances, but now... With her eyes wide and staring at me as she wailed and tightened her grip on my hand, well, she was terrifying. But then Jackie was between us, yanking me free and wheeling the woman on down the hall. I stared after them in mute shock for a few seconds before going back to my office with the paperwork undelivered. A few minutes later, Jackie texted me apologizing. I asked him if the woman was okay. Was she sick with anything? I was concerned about her, but I was also wanting to make sure she didn't have something contagious. His response was short and to the point. Nah, man, just fucked up in the head is all. No worries. I didn't get much sleep that night, and the next day at work, I was pretty much a zombie. To the extent my brain worked at all, I was preoccupied by thoughts of that woman on the stretcher, wondering what was wrong with her, wondering if my tub episode was some kind of weird late reaction getting freaked out by her the day before. I wanted to head straight home after work, get some sleep so I didn't feel like shit, but unfortunately, I'd already agreed to meet my brother at our grandparents' house. Our grandfather had been dead for five years, and our grandmother had followed two years later, but there was still stuff in the garage and attic that needed to be gone through and thrown away. 
We'd put it off repeatedly. But the week before, my brother had called and said he was taking a couple days off work and coming down to get it done. He'd asked if I could come down and help some in the evenings, to which I said sure. It'd be good to see him, and I was happy to help. All of which was true, at least before I almost drowned myself and didn't get any sleep. I considered calling him and begging off, but when I got in my car, I changed my mind. I could go over and help for a couple of hours. I mean, what could it hurt? And if I could push through that, no doubt I'd be tired enough to sleep hard tonight. And that's what happened. I went over, we moved shit out of the garage, ate some pizza and drank some beer, and then went home, falling asleep almost immediately. And then I woke up breathing poison. My lungs felt like they were on fire. I was trying to look around, figure out what was going on, but my eyes were burning and watering so bad I couldn't see anything. Reaching out, I felt around. I was in a car. I could feel the steering wheel, the seatbelt across my waist, and yes, the door latch. I tried to open the door, but nothing happened. After a moment of panic fumbling, I found the unlock button and tried again. The door opened, though not easily. It felt like something was hanging on the door, and it banged into something as I gave a stronger push and threw it wide. I didn't care. I just needed to get away, get where I could breathe. I unbuckled the seatbelt and tried to get out of the car, but my legs collapsed under me. I realized with growing panic that I was very close to blacking out, and if I did, I knew I'd never wake up again. I was breathing in exhaust or something, and I had to find a way out before it was too late. Crawling as fast as I could, I ran my hand along the walls until I found what felt like a door. Reaching up, I felt around until I felt a knob and turned it. My heart sped up as cool, clean night air washed against my face. Scrabbling, I made it out into the grass before the black took over me again. When I woke up the next time, Jackie looked uncomfortable as he glanced at the door before returning his gaze to me. They probably don't want me telling you about it yet, but... Yeah, okay. They found you outside your grandparents' garage last night, man. You had carbon monoxide poisoning, and the car was rigged up like you were trying to... The hose was taped to the window and the exhaust, just like in the movies. It looked like he was going to try and make a joke before thinking better of it. Is that what happened? Did you try to... Or was it a joke or something, maybe? He seemed to add the last bit with a bit of hope in his voice. I frowned, shaking my head before realizing that any motion just made it hurt more than it already was. What? No, I... I didn't... No, I, I, I didn't try to do that. I didn't do that at all. I went to bed at home last night, and then I woke up. You said I was at my grandparents' house? Jackie nodded. Yeah, a neighbor went out to take his dog for a piss in the middle of the night, and you were out there in the grass. He freaked out and called 911. He paused, swallowing. It's a good thing, too. Doctor said you were bad off when you got in there. He looked at the door again before continuing. Look, they have you admitted as a possible suicide attempt. They're just going to keep you for observation for a few hours, but just cooperate with them and it should be cool. He frowned. 
But if you need to talk, man, I'm here. And if you're having problems with dark thoughts or something, it's not something to be ashamed of. You should talk to me or someone. I scowled at him. I'm telling you, I didn't do this. I had something weird happen to me the other night at home, too. I thought it was just this freak sleep thing, but now I think something is trying to kill me. I raised my hand slowly, every bone and muscle seeming to ache with the motion. I know it sounds crazy and paranoid, but I swear someone has been trying to fake my death or, or something. Jackie had stiffened as I talked, the concern on his face slowly being overtaken by fear. Who talked to you about her? I frowned in confusion. Who, her, what are you talking about? He sat back in his chair, his face paling. The woman from a couple of days ago. The one that grabbed you when we passed in the hall, that... He glanced back at the hall before continuing in a lowered voice. That's the kind of crazy shit she was talking about. I sat up more, trying to force myself to focus despite my thudding headache. What kind of crazy shit? I, I swear I don't know what you're talking about. Jackie studied me for a moment before letting out a sigh. I don't know. I only talked to her for a few minutes before I got the doc in, and he decided she needed a full eval and observation. But she was telling me stories about how she'd found out some crazy homeless person around the city. Some cult or something. She said she used to work at a shelter, and a couple of months ago, things went to shit there. A friend of hers disappeared. She got scared and was thinking about selling her shit and moving away, but then one day she came home to find a noose hanging from the ceiling, ready and waiting. Another time, she woke up to find she smelled gas in her place. The oven's pilot light had been blown out, and the burner was on. I stopped and looked down as he rubbed his head. Look, man, this this may just be making you worse. Uh, I should shut up. No, no, please, tell me the rest. Uh, I need to know. I need to understand what's happening. He shrugged. Okay, well, there's not much else anyway. She got pulled in here after she threw herself, according to her, pushed in, in front of an oncoming train. The only reason she didn't die is because her foot got hung on the edge of the platform and she fell down beside it instead. Fucked up her arm pretty good, but I guess not the right one. He shot me a guilty look. I'm sorry, I didn't stop her from grabbing you, man. I was freaked out by what she had told me and was trying to keep it together. I should have watched her better, but you have to be logical. There's no way she's causing this. I gave a slight shrug. I'm not saying it's magic or something, but maybe she's crazy and somehow fixated on me. Has someone on the outside fucking with me to make you believe her crazy story? I don't know. I'm just trying to... What's wrong? Jackie shook his head. She's dead, man. I'm sorry, but she's dead. Just a couple of hours after we passed you in the hall, they said they don't know how, but she managed to choke herself to death with her own pants. He leaned forward, his eyes dark and his voice shaky. It shouldn't be possible. 
Like, you can hang yourself and shit, but I've always heard you can't actually choke yourself or hit yourself or, like, whatever yourself to death. You'd black out first and your body's basic instinct to survive would kick in before you could finish the job. Licking his lips, he sat back again and looked toward the door. Look, I could be fired for talking about her stuff, dead or not. Please don't tell anybody what I told you, okay? I'll talk to the doc and see if we can get you out sooner. He stood up as he gave me a nervous smile. I'll check on you again soon. Just try to relax and not freak yourself out, okay? I was barely listening to him anymore, and when I gave him a slight nod, he seemed satisfied enough to make a hasty retreat. I was in the hospital two more days after that, but I did as Jackie suggested. I cooperated and kept my crazy theories to myself them I don't know what happened, but I was happy to do whatever they recommended. The day I was released from the hospital, I got noticed that I was on administrative leave for two weeks so I could recover and recuperate, which I assumed meant I was being kept home while they looked for a palatable reason to fire me. I was okay. I didn't really care anymore. If I didn't figure out what was going on soon, the only ones benefiting from me having a job were the ones getting the life insurance money. Then again, I don't think they even pay when it's suicide. As soon as Jackie dropped me off at home and pulled away, I immediately got into my car and started driving to the nearest electronics store. The car still stank from exhaust fumes, and I could see little globs of adhesive where the hose had been taped to the crack in the driver's side window. Fuck, how could any of this been happening? Who's doing this and how? That's what security camera I bought was going to help me find out. My plan was simple. I was going to stay holed up in my room with the camera going the whole time. If something else weird happened, then assuming I could survive it, I should have some kind of proof. If nothing happened, then I could figure out if my next step was more cameras or going to a psychologist. I set it up that afternoon, and after getting some drinks and food stockpiled in the room, I locked the bedroom door and hid the key. I was pretty much limited to just the bed, the area around the bed, and the master bathroom. The camera was set up to see part of the bathroom too, but I was mainly concerned with how it all started. Either I was moving myself or someone was moving me, and whichever it was, the camera should catch it. I woke up a few hours later with the point of a kitchen knife less than an inch from my left eye. I froze at first, but then I realized I was holding the knife at myself, and I flung it away with a yell. Shaking, I got up and checked the bedroom and the bathroom. No one was there, and there were no signs of anyone having gotten in either. That left the camera footage. For three hours, there was nothing other than me watching television and then falling asleep. I move around a bit in my sleep, but nothing weird. Then from somewhere out of frame, something falls onto the bed. Zooming in and replaying, I saw it was the knife. It's just like it... Dropped from the ceiling or out of thin air, barely able to breathe, I kept watching the video. The knife slid across the bed toward my outstretched hand, and as I stared in horror, I saw my hand move and curl around the plastic knife handle. It looked wrong, though. Not just because I was still asleep, but my hand and arm, even my fingers were moving weird. Less like I picked up the knife and 
pointed at my face, but almost like some invisible person or thing was lifting and manipulating me on their own. That's when I saw it. In the video, there was a subtle shift on the sheet next to me. The bed moved slightly as something unseen changed its position, maybe so it could get a better angle on pointing the knife at my face. A mixture of anger and fear flooded through me. I felt violated and terrified, but at least I had some proof. Something I could point to and show I wasn't crazy. I see you, motherfucker. I see you. Suddenly on the video, my hand stopped its slow trajectory toward my face. It dropped to my side before turning to carry the knife above my head. There was a flurry of quick motions as the knife seemed to dig at the wall behind my pillows and then it was drifting back to hover above my face until I woke up over 40 minutes later. Setting my phone down from watching the video, I looked toward the wall behind my bed. Even with my pillows there, I thought I could see the edge of something scratched there. When I pulled them away, I found eight little words carved into the sheetrock in sharp, ragged strokes. I see you too. And I never sleep.